ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. But first, to an opportunity. What we want to do is find ways to see if China and the United States can advance the cause together for the rest of the world by accelerating rates of doing things, by increasing the uh, deployment of renewables, by improving grid management. There are a host of things that we think uh, are really worthy of conversation. And if we can make some progress on that, we think we can tampen down this edgy sense of competition, which could lead to a mistake which takes you to a place you didn't mean to go to. That's US Climate Envoy John Kerry addressing a US committee before leaving for China this weekend to resume crucial climate talks, which have been stalled for a year. John Kerry has a long respected relationship with his climate counterpart in Beijing, Xi Zhenhao, and we'll find out this coming week as to whether progress between the world's two largest emitters can be made. Watching the talks closely is Tom Woodroff. He's a senior fellow and founding director of the China Climate Hub at the Asia Society Policy Institute. And he joins me now. Good morning, Tom. Hi, Geraldine. Great to be with you. Um, Amid all the broader diplomatic tensions over human rights, Tom, intellectual property, Taiwan and economic competition, (laughs) the list goes on, Mm. can there be progress, do you think? Uh, Look, I hope so. Um, There's nothing more important than the world's two largest emitters uh, finding a way to talk about what they can do together on climate change. Um, and I actually think that this visit in many ways is the opportunity to test whether some meat can actually be put on the bone of the US-China relationship more broadly following Tony Blinken's visit and then, of course, Janet Yellen's visit in the last month. Uh, I mean, we heard John Kerry mention some general areas there. What do you think he'll be aiming for in terms of specific agreements or collaborations? I think the holy grail outcome of this visit is if the United States can get China to agree to isolate climate change uh, from the rest of the relationship. Um, The reason I say that is it helps it avoid it becoming cannon fodder uh, when there's a geopolitical fracas elsewhere. Um, And we saw, for example, um, the reason, the need for that uh, just last year when after Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, uh, the Chinese decided to suspend uh, the cooperation that had been forged on climate change already. Um, Now, I'm a pragmatist and I actually don't think the Chinese, unfortunately, are going to agree to that on this particular visit. Uh, But what I do think is possible is that they could go back to a whole series of work that they'd agreed to do together at the end of uh, 2021 on the sidelines of the COP26 conference in Glasgow and agree to effectively resuscitate that deal uh, today. I mean, that could have quite important um, ripple effects, couldn't it? I mean, you're saying it's sort of quarantining it, but really it it could lead to bigger things, couldn't it? Or am I wrong? No, it absolutely could. I mean, what they'd agreed at the end of 2021 was effectively to establish a a framework for their cooperation across a whole bunch of different um, thematic areas to do with climate change. And then second of all, to also um, uh, take some really practical action with respect to areas such as, for example, uh, methane emissions, which is a hugely important area. Methane is 80 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide in terms of its greenhouse gas warming potential. 
Um, but look, also cooperating on climate helps protect the rest of the relationship from spiralling out of control. Mm. Um, and that's also why I say this is a great test of whether some meat can be put on the bone of the relationship more generally to help protect it. Uh, John Kerry and Xi Zenhao have a, a personal relationship, both brought out of retirement by their respective leaders too. Uh, quite a history together. How deep in your judgment does this relationship go in terms of past success and will it that personality fit make a difference? Uh, it really matters. I mean, relationships matter in diplomacy at the end of the day. Um, but here you've got two men, each brought out of retirement uh, in their own systems, each with huge leverage in their own domestic system. I mean, with John Kerry, we're talking about someone who was not just uh, a Secretary of State, but was also um, a presidential candidate for his uh, for his party. If these two men can't help drive the action that's needed, um, the movement that's needed within their own system, it's going to be very hard for those uh, who follow them. There's questions about the longevity of each in the role. Kerry's committed through until the end of this year, at least. Um, Shazenwa's had a number of public uh, health issues recently. And the two have also known each other for decades themselves. Um, and look, with the US election looming on the horizon at the end of next year, this is absolutely a critical window and, again, points to why this particular visit over even, say, Tony Blinken's visit, Janet Yellen's visit, it's a really important one, as I say, to put to, to be a real test of what's possible. How thorny an issue for both parties are calls for the Chinese to contribute to international finance mechanisms, like, say, the Green Climate Fund, which helps developing nations cut emissions? I, I think Janet Yellen did raise this issue in China on her recent trip. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, China's not even on the playing field when it comes to climate finance. If you look at the Green Climate Fund, which is the main mechanism multilaterally for de delivering uh, this climate finance support to, to third countries, um, both the United States and China have pledged about $3 billion. Now, the United States, despite huge roadblocking from the Congress, uh, has coughed up about $2 billion of that, about two-thirds of it. Uh, China has coughed up about 10% of that $3 billion. Quite apart from that, of course, uh, you've then also got new mechanisms that are emerging. There was one that was agreed at the end of last year called the Loss and Damage Fund, uh, which will be particularly helpful for a lot of the island nations uh, in our region. Now, here's actually an opportunity for, frankly, some strategic leadership from Beijing, where you've got a country like the United States that will find it very problematic to be able to give to that fund out of a sense that it's providing reparations for uh, its historical emissions, which is even more problematic uh, in the United States Congress. But then you've got a country like China, which actually could act in huge solidarity with its developing country compatriots and actually just seek to provide for that fund, putting aside any sense of responsibility or not. But they, have, but instead, they haven't done they, that yet, have they? No, they haven't. And what's unfortunate is they retreat to this sort of bifurcated historical argument around, um, well, we didn't cause the problem, so we don't have to necessarily contribute as much to solving it or helping others solve it. Mm. And I think the problem is that that, that approach really does exist uh, in yesteryear. And as I say, it's a real opportunity actually for them to demonstrate leadership above and beyond the United States and which would particularly resonate with a lot of their developing country compatriots. Um, you're based, of course, in the US where the consequences of the Inflation Reduction Act are really powering massive investment in the energy transition. But, you know, listening to 
Republicans question John Kerry in the Foreign Relations House sub- Subcommittee <laughs> is quite yeah. bracing. There's clearly a view a fear about China gaining an economic advantage over the US by being slower to curb emissions. Now, is this in any way a consideration in your view? Look, I think it colours the domestic context of the visit. Um, And it's unfortunate because, you know, Chinese counterparts notice this stuff, but they also appreciate and I think find curious how the United States system works. Um, And the US is, you're quite right, um, notwithstanding that political rhetoric, um, particularly for those of us that watched the, the hearings yesterday, including myself, uh, find it confronting. But the United States is able to go to China and it's able to say, well, we have just passed through the Inflation Reduction Act the biggest piece of climate legislation, the most consequential piece of climate legislation in the entire world. I mean, it is tens of billions of dollars of investment in green technologies and in low-carbon uh, infrastructure, uh, which is actually driving the transition and will mean, in fact, that the United States is able to continue to increase its ambition, whilst at the moment there's actually real concerns about if China's even meeting its existing commitments. So that's a really important message. And they're able to say that, by the way, um, that they were able to pass the legislation with some critical Republican votes. So that helps, um, notwithstanding the rhetoric. But yeah, absolutely, the rhetoric is generally uh, generally unhelpful that these sort of debates still still take place. I mean, according to the ANU, carbon emissions in China are growing faster now than before COVID-19. So, you know, that dashes any hopes that the pandemic may have put the world's most polluting nation on a new emissions trajectory. And I understand it's all due to new coal plants, or coal plants generally, but there are new ones being built. Do you really have any confidence this can be turned around? I mean, the whole world, I think, frankly, lost an opportunity with COVID-19 in terms of our uh, efforts to tackle climate change. The challenge in China is that we're seeing a massive step in the wrong direction as a result of the imperative of economic growth at the moment, coming out of particularly the zero COVID policies. At the end of the first quarter of this year, the ANU is absolutely right. China's emissions grew 4% year on year. That is the highest jump in annual emissions in history, in recorded history. Um, Now, it comes at a time where they haven't actually committed to peak their emissions before the end of the decade, so it's fine conceptually within that commitment that they're rising, though certainly unfortunate at that rate. But what it does mean is that the cost of them actually then reaching their commitments and their ability, more importantly, for them to increase their existing commitments as every country it's hoped will do, becomes much narrower. The space for them to do that becomes uh, much, much narrower. Um, Now, your question was sort of really, you know, should we have any faith in actually what they're doing Given all of that, well, the answer I think also is that, yes, there is a good story to tell in parts of the Chinese system. China last year installed more renewable energy capacity than the rest of the world combined. Mm. Uh, It sold more electric vehicles than the rest of the world combined. This is a huge and real transition in China at the moment, but... I think that China also probably has the greatest opportunity of any country uh, to leapfrog a lot of the fossil fuel um, era and to actually have a really rapid decarbonisation process. And what concerns, I think, a lot of big countries is not just are they genuinely committed to that, 
but also just the transparency of what, what they're actually doing in that respect. So engagement with the US helps sort of elicit that or illuminate that trans- that transparency, which is really important. Yeah, and there surely couldn't be a better person than John Kerry to be pursuing this. Look, very quickly, when might we know of any outcomes from the talks? Uh, it's, a re- it's a very long visit, actually, um, in, in some respects. It's four days, so I think it'll be towards the middle or end uh, of the week. But as I say, I think that the real potential here is that they effectively agree to turn the clock back to 2021 uh, and bring forward both that regurgitation, that resuscitation of those uh, working groups on climate, look at some practical action on methane. I'd keep an eye out, by the way, for whether there's a joint statement between the two countries. We didn't see that with um, Blinken's visit. We didn't see that with Yellen's visit. We saw separate readouts. Sounds like complete diplomatic um, trivialities, but it's quite important because it just at an absolute baseline level, it points to whether the two countries can even draft something together. Tom Woodruff, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Great to be with you. And Tom is, a, <clears throat> pardon me, a senior fellow and founding director of the China Climate Hub at the Asia Society Policy Institute, and he's a former climate diplomat. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.